Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said many times, mostly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time or our hobby dollars on these days. It can lead to a serious case of uh, what the kids call these days, I believe, fear of missing out, or I think FOMO. Anyway, this podcast explores... um, some of the games that my guests and I either play or have written, uh, and some of the big industry events that are sort of shaking the gaming world today. Uh, now, today we have one of those guests that I mentioned in the first part. That is someone who's written a rule set. Now, this is a man whose name I've been hearing about for years and has written a fantastic rule set that's been around the traps um, that sort of really uh, captures that post-apocalyptic feel and I is on my short list of games to play. Um, now he's back with a brand new game that captures one of my favorite liter- uh, literary and uh, cinematic genres, and that is cyberpunk. And of course, if you've been watching uh, gaming news, you'll know that I'm talking about Reality's Edge. And if I'm talking about Reality's Edge, I of course am talking to Joseph McGuire, although today we'll be calling him Joey. Joey, welcome to Cast Ice. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, man. Oh, I don't know where to start. I have a thousand questions for you. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your your freshman gaming uh, experience um, effort. I don't want to make it sound trivial because it isn't. Um, you, I mean, I know that you contributed on another, uh, sorry, on a number of game systems over the years, but your first full independent game was. This is not a test, and it has been around for a little while now, and, um, you know, I've seen tons of people playing it. Uh, It's featured in Dave Taylor's um, Armies, uh, Fantastic Hardback Armies book that came out last year. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, because if folks aren't aware, that is a really cool post-apocalyptic game. Okay, so long story short on that, back in 2013... So I've always been a post. I've been always been a big post-apocalyptic fan. Mm. I love how mankind always the idea of mankind being given the tools to uplift himself and then promptly misusing that <laughs> to either destroy. So yeah, that veer is either into the post-apocalypse, the dystopian cyberpunk future, mm. you know, things like that. So I was. I decided somewhere around in 2013, I really wanted to design a war game. Like you said, I, I had written some supplements for people in the past, but I had never kind of taken the reins for myself. And I started I started out with, um, you know, studying different mechanics. Mm-hmm. I'm not a math guy by, um, by nature. Mm-hmm. So I, I just started looking at different systems. In fact, the, the precursor, to this is not a te- to reality's edge to this is not a test was a rule set that I called the kitchen sink because <laughs> nice. it was like every rule set in the world I looked at all the mechanics I threw it in because as a game designer my number one goal wasn't to make the most what I would call the most innovative game possible I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel that runs very well right. I want to give folks a fun play experience. Hopefully something that's different, but yet feels a little bit familiar. So 
after like a couple years of play testing, we withered away what I would consider all the bad concepts that I started with because, mm-hmm. you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy or Amen. play testers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my first game was so bad when I like, I was like, I, I convinced a friend and my wife to play. Oh, and it was a travesty. <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about the kitchen sink, not this is not a test. Yeah, so kitchen sink is TNT, though. No. Is, sorry, this is not a test. I call TNT for short. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right on. So it's, it's a great little acronym that works for me. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that became, this is not a test. It was when I started. So whenever you're designing a game, the best thing to always do is start with the mechanics first. Figure out how the world works, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I did, and we, you know, through the play testing I mentioned earlier, that's how this is not a test became what it is. Yeah. Now the overlay to the mechanics was basically me wanting to play my most one of my most favorite games of all time, which is Fallout, mm-hmm. combined combined with the warband structure of that classic, the, the classic late '90s, early aughts games like Necromunda, mm-hmm. Mordheim which were my favorite games as, you know, in my teenage and young, young adult years, I suppose, you know, my, in my, in my formative years. Yep. And so, I mean, but it, let me just, I just pull that crane back a little bit. It's just not fallout. It's, you know, TNT, I, I write what I, I like to say that I, I write games about tropes. Yes. So it, it, it's just not like fallout. Because I wanted to do a little bit more. Because Fallout's a great IP, and people call, and it really is a sandbox game. It but is. But it had to win to like five mutants. Yeah. So I was like, I can't just do super mutants and ghouls, and the occasional mutated creature. You know. Yeah. I wanted all kinds of crazy gamma world type mutants, mm-hmm. but I also loved the concept of the, you know. You know, real jingoistic United States, you know, mm-hmm. but with crazy future elements and art deco slash rocket age visuals, you know, the old classic car look, but with rocket with like mm-hmm. big rocket engines mounted in the back. That that just screamed love to me. So totally. TNT is kind of like all that wrapped in what's out of mechanics that I wrote over three years. Um I like to tell people when this is how I wrote it off to my wife that it was I'm 42 now and the game is about five years old. So it was my midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, people go buy a car. I bought art and, and um, Dave Taylor. You know, yep. Being <laughs> laid out and helping with pictures and you know and editors and all that fun stuff. So that's kind of where that's the kind of where TNT came from. Nice. And yeah, you know, I, it's it, it, it's you know independent gaming at its best. I, I like to consider it independent gaming. Yeah, you know, at its best. All, I mean, but, you almost said it, but it is. I mean, you literally sat down, you wrote a rule set, um, you led development of it, and then you you had it actively play tested. You worked out the kinks, and then with you know a little help from our friend Dave, um, you laid it out and put it out, and it's it's. It's got legs. People are playing it. People love it. And um, I'm constantly seeing pictures of people playing that at conventions um, or at home. And it's a friend described it to me as um, it's a great game if you want to play out something like uh, Six String Samurai, which is one of my favorite cult movies of all time, which is Buddy Holly with a samurai sword fighting his way through um, Soviet troops. I've never seen that movie. Sorry, what? 
Are you acting like I've never seen that movie? No, I'm more sorry. I'm more speaking to the listeners if they haven't, but uh, being chased by death. I figured of all people, you would have definitely seen that movie. Can I I stop you there for one second? Yeah. Do you know you can buy miniatures for that? What? No. Mm -hmm. Where? My, My friend Lon Weiss at Brigade Games had a game that came out before TNT called Atomic Cafe. Yes. And... One of they they did several war they did several gangs, including the uh, the bowlers, mm-hmm. and nice. six ring and the six ring samurai himself are miniatures that he will he will happily sell you. Oh, I need to get me a six string samurai and yeah, the bowlers of course. Um, and if you know, longtime listeners of the show will know the Red Elvises uh, let me use one of their songs as outro music for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I will have to use it at the end of this episode now. So there you go. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Um, So this is not a test. Clearly um, that was, I don't want to say an ordeal, but I mean, it was, it was a big deal. It was a lot of effort to go through all that process to create a game. Um, What were some of the lessons you think you learned from that, that you were able to pull out and use for your sophomore effort? Oh man, I, that uh, uh, um, honestly, That my creative process does not work well for mainstream publishing. <laughs> <laughs> like, really was the big... So, TNT was whittled away. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they held... You know, like, the, it's kind of pretentious to say, but sculptors always say that you you knock away at the rock what the rock wants to be, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, what does that rock want to be? You're just revealing. You're not creating. That's kind of the same way for rules. It's like you just take this large chunk of idea and you just skim away at it until you, you've got something that's both playable and fun. Mm-hmm. And TNT took me three years mm. yeah. to do that. To, from 2013, from concept to where I can write a game by myself, to when we finally published it as a PDF, Gathering Art, all that stuff was about three years. A lot of that was just me... Thinking, you know, just like, okay, how do I want to do this? How do I want to do this? Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, I got approached by. So the story with Osprey is I'm friends with Joe. Um, wait, we're friends, I guess, with Joe McCullough, mm-hmm. the writer of Frost. Yeah, I was going to say he wrote Frostgrave, didn't he? Yep. We both grew up in Maryland. Nice. He is, you know, we, we actually work at the same gaming store. So I so we were known enemies, and then I randomly saw him as I mentioned Historicon before. He was at the Osprey Crane booth a couple of years ago. We kind of reconnected and said, "Oh my God, you're here and you're here." It was one of those moments. And Osprey was looking to do a sci-fi book, and he he carted out my name to them, and then they contacted me, and I, I, I was kind of like I kind of knew him a little bit, like Phil Smith. Mm-hmm. Like we were, you know, he, he Facebooked me. We, we, I Facebook messaged a lot because most of the wargaming stuff is tied to Facebook now. It's kind of funny. It is. And they're like, do you want to, did you want to do something? Because believe it or not, like two years ago, three years ago, it's 2013. God, I'm sorry. My time's getting away from us all. <laughs> five years ago, I got an email from Osprey. They wanted they, they so they had saw me working on my rules, mm-hmm. and back then, you know, they're 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 a little more choosy now 
but back then I think they were they were setting up Osprey Gaming mm-hmm. and they were really looking to get some like freshman talent. And they're like, hey, we're looking at these war games. Would you be interested in seeing if this not a test fits that? And I, I looked at their parameters and I was like, well, they wanted like 80 pages. And I had like at that point 140. Oh, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, man. Because I, 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 they were really there back then. They're like, we really want to stick to this format. Mm-hmm, the blue books. Yeah. I don't think I could get work. And I kind of wanted to do it on my own a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So I said, and no, thank you. I appreciate it. But, and then when the offer came around again, I'm like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. not so much as Osprey's more established. Is like I feel a little more comfortable being able to let someone take over, you know, a little bit. Yep. And so I guess back to my original point. Sorry for the tangent. Oh, that's all right. Is what took me three years to do was supposed to take a year. That didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a big ask for anyone is to cough up a game system in a year, at least from my experience, especially if you want to play test it and make sure it actually works. It was a little bit more than a year, but there was like some background negotiations going on that kind of mm-hmm. drug on a little bit. And then by the time the fine, by the time the hammer dropped and said, OK, now we can start. We're official. This is this is going to happen. Get to work. And I was like, oh, OK, I. My length of time wasn't it wasn't really their fault or, or my fault is kind of the way how the kits fell. Yeah. So and they actually they've been very generous with the time. The timeline kept shifting for me. I was like, okay guys, I can either deliver you something and not really quite I don't think it's ready and I don't think you want it. And they're like, okay. I mean honestly, if I had my way, I'd probably have another year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can never let things go. You're just no. like, oh let, I, let me tinker with cyber because I kept tinkering with various parts of the book mm-hmm. but you know this is one of the nice things about working for publishers is like okay this is your cutoff date this is where you got to be yeah you know and for their trouble they the original contract stipulated forty thousand words i gave them 80 Ooh. <laughs> yeah over the same as on a picture podcast but you know video but th- this is a this is like a phone book yeah. An A4 science phone book, <laughs> which I guess maybe the kids don't know these days, but you know, mm-hmm. Bible sized. Because <laughs> yeah. I kept like, okay, that's getting ahead of myself. Sorry. No, that's all but right. Yeah, the lessons that I learned was I, I did, I knew how to write a rule set, but it kind of forced me to work quicker, work more efficiently mm-hmm. and deliver on a deadline. I, I think that was the big, big takeaway that TNT, that Reality's Edge kind of helped me learn. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does beautifully. And that kind of leads into a couple of my next questions, one of which being, um, I know that Osprey in the past has been famous for putting out, you know, short, sharp little games um, in their Blue Book series. Um, you know, famously, of course, Gaslands being one of the most popular of those that is just an easy to pick up, um, put on a table and play. Um, Gaslands is a fantastic game. As listeners of the show will know, I have been playing the hell out of that game since it released. But Osprey's really shifted, and now they're putting out larger games with, um, you know, hardback books. And so it works out really well. (laughs) I can, for once, that's not my dog, ha! Um... But if we go back to um, 
to what you were saying a second ago about you know them wanting forty thousand words and then getting eighty. Um, just having seen the press photos of this game, not only is the art amazing, but it's it's gonna be like the new Gaslands rule set that's also I believe coming out in August. Um, a big, nice hardback game book. Um, yeah. yeah, you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Okay, so. I wasn't sure when I finally gave them the manuscript, how big it was, mm-hmm. you know, that they wanted a hardback Bible. <laughs> yep. But I, I think when they looked at it and they looked at what they had and what they were like kind of veering, veering into in the future, I thought they're like, okay, we can do this. Cause nice. as you said, it's big, it surprised them, but all their stuff now is getting kind of what I, I, Bigger and better, but the, yes. the better doesn't mean that the the like not I'm, I'm you know, like the other previous ones are lesser works, but they're just getting into more, I guess you know more detail intensive games a little exactly. bit. Like even you said, I think Gaslands is now twice the size. It is of a little, which I you know if, if we can talk about games for a second, Please. like I think it's worth, I think it's worth you know. The original Gaslands was great because it was 20 bucks. Yeah, right? I mean, now, it felt like a $20 book. You know, it was light. It was, you know, the paper quality was good. Mm -hmm. But it was soft cover. And it was a great entry level for what it is. And the rules still work wonderfully. Absolutely. But the new one, you know, people wanted more and they gave them more. I thought it was a a really good decision to kind of come back. Because the original buy-in was so low. Mm Mm-hmm. People that they they didn't have to worry about it. And, and honestly, if you know, now that I've seen what they've done with Reality's Edge, and like their price for forty five bucks is more than reasonable. Exactly for a book of this size with the art in it, and I mean my fair contribution too. But like you know, T, it's cheaper than TNT. Now they 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 have you know, <laughs> TNT is a very small print run book. It has to be the price it is exactly because that's the only way I can make even a modicum of profit on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, for the economies of scale that Osprey do, this is a wonderfully priced gaming book. I mean, it's I would put this like I, I take this about TNT too that I will put this book up against any gaming book, and only. Other than the lack of like TNT, the only thing I the only one regret about TNT is the pages aren't glossy. Yeah, and that's only because I could not find a printer who would print in the numbers I needed that would offer gloss pages. Because I use um, Lightning Source. Mm-hmm. They have a, they have um, which is a, a printer, a worldwide printer for doing small run books, and they didn't offer it at the time. But of course, Reality's Edge. Nice, nice glossy pages. It's yeah. beautiful. Though it's kind of mutton. It's a nice matte gloss, which is better for cyberpunk. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about cyberpunk. Um, now, huh? if if you'll if you'll humor me a little bit here, um, I think you and I are about the same age. You mentioned your age. I'm 44, so same ballpark. Um, and when I went off to university, um, good friend of mine, Jared, recommended a book to me uh, called Neuromancer, and you know, I, I love the idea of punk and, um, you know, I was listening to a lot of ska and punk in high school and loved sort of the dystopian uh, world sort of described in the music of the specials and, you know, bands like that. Yep. And then um, started reading that. And 
Wow. It it literally changed the way I looked at uh, reading. Because before that, I'd read a lot of, you know, random science fiction, fantasy, um, and game books galore. But it was like, here is a universe that was perfect for gaming. And it wasn't a game. And for me, that just blew my mind. And I just went, oh my God, this is perfect. This is, I would love to put this, you know, in a game. And I know games like Shadowrun existed, um, but that was almost, um, it was it was role play at the time and I was getting out of role playing and I was well into tabletop uh. war gaming, having been a GW fan at that point, um, which having talked to you off air, I know, I think we also came from a similar, you know, point of view, or sorry, uh, background, but, I uh, just the idea of, you know, a dystopian world where everything's gone wrong kind of thing. Um, government no longer provides support. Everything sort of falls to big corporations yep. uh, and just technology gone awry. And it, it just I mean, it it echoes movies like Akira and, of course, uh, Nur, uh, sorry, uh, Johnny Mnemonic and um Oh, why am I suddenly blanking on the name of the Angela Bassett movie where, um, like two day, three strange days, something like that. Um, Strange days? Yeah, Strange days. God. Yeah, with the the memory. Oh, that was Mm -hmm. so good. And it just, all of those with the Gibson novels. And of course, that led into me finding um, Stevenson's um, Snow Crash novel. Gotta love a book where the main character is called Hero Protagonist. Hero Protagonist. Right? Um, I, 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 I have a book. I swear to God, I have I have an autographed copy of that book. To it, and then I say, can you please write it to a true hero? Oh, so good. <laughs> so cheesy, but I did it. And he did it to his credit. Yeah. Well, I mean, ninja, we're talking about what? A samurai slash ninja pizza boy uh-huh. in the far future. Um, mm. whose so best good. friend is a skater. And you just go, this yep. is amazing. Um, and he works for what? Uh, Uncle Enzo's, the pizza pizza place. Yep. And it just, that weird dystopian universe just always called out to me. And um, up until this point, I don't think we've had a game that really grabs it. Now I hear people on the internet screaming infinity at me, but it's almost too shiny and too mecha and too... Again, you know, that that whole maybe a little bit of supernatural magic-y stuff in there. I'm not super up on my Infinity. But the models are almost a little too glossy for me. Um, I always want something gritty and dystopian. Um, So my my familiarity with Infinity is very limited. Mm. Um, I read the rules, which I thought they're they're very cool, if intimidating. Yes. (laughs) For the amount of things that you got to keep track of, which, again... I love the. I actually really love the turn structure. Yeah. But I, I um, Infinity is what I would consider, um, post what they call post cyberpunk, mm-hmm. which is basically it's cyber. There's a lot of trappings of cyberpunk, but it has it more. It's slightly more upbeat. Yes. The 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 protagonists tend to have a better outlook for the future. They're they're not. Mm-hmm angry you know oh god what's what's um you know the old blackened movies you know the mm-hmm. horrible detective what do you call that noir yeah it, it doesn't have that noir sense agreed that cyberpunk has you know the original cyberpunk style had 
And it, you know, it's more it's it's kind of a little more concerned with the cool tech. Mm -hmm. It goes a little less punky. Yeah. But it still has the it still can have dystopian elements. Still has cybernetics. It still has you know things are still awry, but everyone's kind of a bit more positive. Yes, exactly. So that's why, like, it's like it's, Infinity can scratch that itch, but can it scratch the itch well enough to, for the '90s kids, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's, so it's that, yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're starting to get that in popular culture again. I mean, it was a big deal in the '90s, um, but then it sort of tapered off, um, and maybe it's been existing, and I haven't been paying attention. But uh, you know, you. Authors like Gibson have moved on to, you know, William Gibson have moved on to other sort of subject matters and sort of universes and worlds, and that was sort of the thing he he dwelt, you know, lived in for a while. Um, but you know, we're starting to see video games like the upcoming Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven with yep. Keanu Reeves, um, and that looks to be um, not the shiny future. That looks to be the same kind of gritty cyberpunk that I'm kind of looking for in a game. Yep. And when, you know, and when I saw that Osprey had your book online and I saw the art for it and I started reading the press for it, just went, this is my kind of cyberpunk. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about your inspiration for what, I mean, I know th there may have been a negotiation with Osprey about what kind of game, but you mentioned that they kind of wanted a sci-fi game. How did this come to be? I think we both walked into negotiations but we hadn't really talked about that we both wanted a cyberpunk game. Mm -hmm. They said, we're looking, they hadn't done a major, they they had done like Tomorrow's War, they've kind of hit that nice generic mm -hmm. sci-fi feel a couple of times. But I think they were going, they were, they're like, wow, we want to do something a little more gritty. I was like, I would love to do cyberpunk. And when I was talking to Phil Smith, he's like, I want to do cyberpunk too. That, that was the negotiation for cyberpunk. Nice. Was, we both walked in there wanting we both wanted a cyberpunk. We just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So that's how we landed on it. Um, now for, I, I would say my hands down, I love Neuromancer. Everybody loves Neuromancer. Mm -hmm. It started, you know, it's like the granddaddy of the genre. It is. But I, but my favorite, and I think I said in an interview one time that if I had to pick, you know, when Franken for reality's edge, it would be, Snow Crash and Neuromancer. But if I had to pick an island and I could only take one book with me, it would be Snow Crash. Yeah. As my favorite cyberpunk novel of all time. Which is funny because Snow Crash is a set is satire. It is. It's meant, it's meant to be satirical, kind of not not like it's not trying to make light of the cyberpunk genre, but it's just to be like a satirical cyberpunk novel. But it ended up kind of like reinvigorating the genre. Like it, it almost, it like it re redefined. Like I don't know. Like it, it just it hit so many high notes. It just like the perfect flavor of cyberpunk for me. Mm -hmm. Where like you said, like it's, it's you know everything's commodified. There's corporations, but I love their. They have um, economic zones. Exactly. Which I love, which for people who may not know, the idea is that the world has been divided up into little Desmonds, you know, little domains. Mm -hmm. Some are owned by the big corporations, some are little corporations, some are even nation states. 
like United States may maybe like in they still own Washington D.C. No corporation runs that bureaucratically. They they own it, but you know how impotent are they? Pretty dang impotent. <laughs> but there's still a power, even if it's a minor power compared to some mega corporation exactly. that runs all the freeways between here and California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like that that was like if reality if you had to pick what makes real what makes reality head. Reality's Edge World Tick, which it was a deliberate decision that I, I kept the fluff to a minimum. Where in TNT, a lot of the fluff deals with my hometown of Cumberland, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Because I always imagined what would my hometown be like, and I built a story narrative from there. But of course, it's all, you know, I, I run sandbox games, it's, make it whatever you want. But I, I, I kind of like, I would say I did a third of the world building for Reality's Edge. Where I, you know, I, I call the, the the world is the sprawl, because that's what it is. It doesn't matter. It could be Rio de Janeiro. It could be Paris. It could be London. It could be New York. They're all basically the same. Yeah. It's a melting pot of languages and people and experiences. So I, I was less concerned with telling people about my world and hoping that they would create their own world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, infuse their story, make their avatars as what they want them to be. So and you know. And with the I, with Snow Crash kind of feeling is my main inspiration. That's kind of fun to do. You know, what if you were the Deliverator? What if he had his own little ragtag group of troublemakers and troubleshooters, mm-hmm. and they got paid to do bad jobs for good people and good jobs for bad people? You know. Oh yeah, and I think th- the fact that this is. Uh... Uh, just to go on something you were talking about a second ago, this is a miniature agnostic game. It's sort of freeform. You get to use, I mean, you don't have a miniature line that will be coming out with this in conjunction. So you are letting people use what they want. That is true. So um, now, this, you're sort of leaning into that creativity where people can create their own universe and their own look. The downside of the cyberpunk genre is your miniature option. It's miniature agnostic. But you kind of have to work at it a little bit. <laughs> yes. You have to find because you can't. It's not like there's no orcs. No, exactly. Which you can go to any store and buy orcs. You know, it's sci-fi games. You can find tons of sci-fi miniatures to use. But and of course, any world. You know, any like Necromunda. Um, I really expect to see people pilfering like Infinity, like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. I'm also hoping to see a lot of Infinity players going. Hey, we can play some. We've got these miniatures. We can play a different type of game right. that still feels vaguely familiar, and that'll be fun. And you know, it's I kind I, I kind of like that. This you know, almost like a, a shadow economy a little bit of people like, hey, where are you finding your miniatures at? Where are you finding yours at? Because I I can go into the store. I might be able. To, there's a lot of cool offerings in the Reaper Carnoscope line. Yes, there. So are. you can or you know. There's some stuff in GW that works. There's a lot of Infinity. So it's kind of fun, people kind of creating stories about where they found the miniatures that meet their needs. That's right. And I will I, I, I will pit myself a little bit. I am working on a miniature range. Oh. Um, very slowly. Very slowly. Um, if they do well, I will do more, of course. Um, I have, uh, are you familiar with Patrick Keith of Bombshell Miniatures? Yes, very much so. Well, <laughs> I had him do five sculpts, nice. which I have not showed anybody. I think this is the first time publicly I'm mentioning this. So maybe what, dare I ask what kind of sculpts he's doing? Well, they're done. Um, 
so really, the, so the whole story is kind of cyberpunk a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's he's the, the industry is moving into three D sculpting. Yes, and so it's not like I want greens now. You know, now it's like someone sends me this file, and there's a lot of tinkering with size and things like that. But he did uh, so. I, I thought the one thing I was like, okay, one, I want to, I want things that work to his 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 skill set. I mean, he's good at everything, but I love his female sculpts. Yeah, he's super. Talented. So I wanted, I I wanted majority woman, you know, because cyberpunk's also, you know, it's diversity. You know, I I, I just didn't want, you know, white yep. men with swords. That's kind of boring. <laughs> you know, that's that's yes. that's not. That you know, Snow Crash is. I think Hero is half Japanese, half American. He is. Why Y.T. Why he's a white woman, and like the the uh, the antagonist is a, is you know Uncle Wednesday, this old Italian gentleman, mm-hmm. and I think his name's Raven, is yep. the uh, Inuit bad guy. He's yeah. He's reminds me very much of Quinn from the old G.I. Joe comics, the the, the giant yeah. Eskimo. Yeah. And I I just like so, the miniatures are. There's a street, well, what I call sprawl running, the street samurai, mm-hmm. female, uh, 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 female street samurai. Mm-hmm. There's a female drone controller, um, and she comes with um, a flying drone with a gun mounted to it. Mm-hmm. There is an enforcer character who is kind of like your bodyguard type, and he's just holding a big, big, cool um, science fiction looking shotgun. Nice. There is. I mean, there's only five, and I'm forgetting who the who the fourth one is. Always oh, the, the hacker. Oh my gosh, the hacker. Yeah. Female hacker. Um, and then there is the showrunner, who is kind of generic-y looking because I didn't want him to be like, oh, he's clearly a Decker, mm-hmm. or what I call console cowboys, which I borrowed from Neuromancer. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of he can kind of fill a number of slots, and he kind of looks like. Garrick from The Witcher. Nice. Old guy, kind of, with this. He's got a big scar. It looks really badass. Now, I looked at what, what I thought was kind of the hole in, in, the, in, 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 the, in the industry was you have a lot of guys that make perfect agents. There's a lot of good punkish stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that was necessarily corporate, was heavily represented. So they're all in suits. Oh, nice. Very nice. So, like I, I felt like the, the the showrunner is wearing like a suit, and he's got a big billowy cloak, and he's wearing. Um, I found a cop picture online, where this guy's in a like he's got a bulletproof vest on. You ever you ever seen like um detect, you know, like police detectives that wear bulletproof vests, but they still have to dress nice. Oh yeah. So you can see the tie. And they're all wear they're all like dressed. These people like they want to look nice while they're killing. So yeah, I'm like exactly. really. And I don't have samples yet to show people. That's why I kind of been like, I didn't want to tell anybody. Well, it's, I also, podcasts are good for that. Hey, and, and I also got my buddy Mark Evans, who's done sculpting for me for TNT. Mm-hmm. He actually contacted me and said, "Hey, do you mind if I sculpt some cyberpunk stuff for my own lines?" And I was like, "Do you think?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get on that. So, so he he's um, are you on the Facebook group at all? Uh, I believe so. Uh, I need to take a closer look. Yes. So where can people find that, by the way, if they're listening? His his stuff, there's a Cyberpunk Miniatures group, that's what it's called, on Facebook. And he posted 
He also has a website that I can't remember what it is. Mm. He started. He just started it. It's Mark something. But he's doing some really cool old school. His style is kind of like a Mark Copleston style. Oh, nice! Like uh, that, that foundry kind of look. That that nice beefy, you know, old school GW feel with you know the the parts and hands are slightly exaggerated. But that's like so great for painting. They just paint themselves almost. And he's doing a whole line based on Reality's Edge. Oh, fantastic. He's doing some really cool stuff, yeah. If, if you like that 90s feel, it's perfect. And it'll, it'll scale with the old school miniatures, because I'm always concerned about scale. You know, I don't, like, I want every, you know, <laughs> I want anything to fit with either what I have or what I think people be playing with. So my stuff that coming out is more scale to fit with Infinity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know... The one thing about Nathan with Patrick is he's, you know, a high-quality sculpt, slightly, you know, higher pricing tier a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of chasing a slightly higher-end miniature look to it. Yeah. So it's going after that infinity where the miniatures will either be in resin or, you know, or metal. I'm not quite sure yet. So it'll be a little higher price point than my normal miniatures. Mm-hmm. But they're all sculpted and amazing looking. So it's like... Yeah getting closer to a collectible statue almost, but still 28 millimeter, well, you know, 30 millimeter. If we're talking about Reality's Edge, though, you only need, what, three to seven models? Um, and so you you don't need to, you know, you, you are, sorry, you can splash out on, you know, some very high-end stuff, um, yes. you know, of more boutique style, which, uh, you know, doesn't have the, the scale of mass production to bring down the cost. It's okay to spend a little bit of money um, to get yep. the models and- that you want. Uh, for most gangs, your 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 crew. So you t- you play a showrunner, mm-hmm. who and I borrow. I love that term because I borrow. Have you ever heard that before? It sounds familiar, but I can't. It's from uh, it's from the media. It, it, it's from t- it's from television. Oh, right on. Yep. It's the guy. So back in the day, the head guy of the television show was called a producer. Mm-hmm. Then producer, everyone wanted to be a producer. So then you, who was who. The, you had like six producers, but nobody knew who was in charge. So they still had to say who was in charge. So producer became someone who was involved with the show, maybe funded it, maybe helped write, but doesn't mean the person who made all the critical creative decisions. That person became a showrunner. Nice. And I thought that's a perfect name for someone like, like you can imagine like a, merc- a small time mercenary, has some experience under his belt you know, bringing a motley crew together. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, like you only need the maximum crew, the maximum crew size is six people There you go. that you can have on the board at any one time. You can, of course, have many people as you want kind of sitting on your roster. Mm-hmm. And I encourage it because people could get hurt or dead, whatever, mm-hmm. but you can only have six. So, you know, you do have, you can get attached to a miniature because even like you said, well, not like, sorry. Now that you said, like, um, uh, not like you said, I was thinking more about, like, if you, if you have you seen um, Altered Carbon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With thing? Mm-hmm. It's cyberpunk. You don't necessarily have to die if you've got the money to spend. Right. So you can fall in love with your favorite model, and there's ways of, quote, unquote, decanting or resleeving a clone. Mm-hmm. So there's all that's all in the book. So... Oh, awesome. So, yeah, there, you could definitely fall in love with your miniatures and write their stories. And there's not a high price. It's like, so, like, whatever miniatures you want, 
You don't need too many of them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like how the miniatures work in the game. So, yeah. That's cool. Well, what I love about this, and from what I've read, is you, you're you not just getting you know a small crack team of commandos, so to speak, although I'm, I'm sure you could probably put that together. Um, if we're sure. sticking with, I mean, you have actual diversity in models and what they can do on the tabletop, and that ties in with something that we haven't seen a lot of in miniature war game, gaming uh, at least done well, which is the idea of... Um, you know, hacking and being sort of, you know, on the net, so to speak. Um, I'm trying to think yeah. of the terminology you used in the game. Um, but yeah, just the mechanics of, um, you know, having a, you know, having cyber attacks and, you know, attacking yep. online while the game is going on. Um, and so you can really, I mean, you can have someone who's in there, you know, controlling drones. You can have someone in there, as you said yep. before, the console cowboy. Um, and, you know, while that's going on, you have, you know, you know, street Ronin or, you know, gangers or, you know, just people who are along for the ride, uh, which really allows you to, you know, create something interesting and unique. Yep. So your basic crew, so kind of, that's the most important question I always get is about how hacking works. So, you know, if you don't mind, I'll segue into that. Please. <laughs> So hacking has always been two different, there's a couple ways you could do it. And this is probably what I spent the most time on mm. and hope people appreciate that. Yeah. So most miniature games, there, there's not, there's been a couple cyberpunk games out there. And what they do is whenever you think about cyberpunk and hacking, you think giant mnemonic, you know, plugging into the net and, you know, swimming around these data architectures or, you know, the classic is Shadowrun, you know, mm -hmm. where your hacker gets on his computer, gets on, you know, gets his deck out and starts typing. And what, what you have for those is you either have off-board mini-games, or if it's an RPG, you have someone's not there with the rest of the group. Because the rest of the group is off hitting the bank while the other guy is hacking, the, you know, the security systems. Right. And if you're trying to run or keep up a game, like you're basically playing two games at once. Yeah. And my thought was that you didn't really need to do that. The idea is that the internet kind of exists on two different planes. There's, the, there's, you know, we have augmented reality, which is, you know, computer stuff superimposed over reality. You know, we, we have this today. We have billboards that you can wave your hand in front of and they wave back. Yeah. That's actually current tech. Not as well developed, mind you. Mm -hmm. And then you have the online net. Um, I combine these into, into one mega, mega thing called the hypernet, which is a, a worldwide system where every node from every laptop to computer is a router, and it's all connected. Now, there are, there are private networks and everything, and they're sheltered off. But for the most part, the world is connected. And if you would imagine that the Internet is virtual reality, you know, you... you, you you send your avatar in, and the people that designed this system are lazy. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, this isn't, you know, the private networks that the corporate, the corporations maintain. You know, they're all going to be fancy. You know, they're going to look like samurai kingdoms and mm -hmm. cool deco things and be very beautiful and creative and all kinds of niceness. But if you're developing the utility internet, if you're in downtown Hong Kong, 
at this you know if you're in a noodle cafe mm-hmm. and you want to go on to downtown hong kong's internet virtually it's going to look like downtown hong kong for you yeah because like well i want to go you know i want to go to the noodle cafe's website well that noodle cafe's website is going to probably look like the noodle cafe and your little avatar can go in and there'll be some small differences but for narrative purpose and gaming purpose, we imagine that these two worlds kind of mirror each other. And so I take the idea that you can just superimpose them on top of each other. They're, they're both separate. You're, you know, so you basically, you can bring your avatar onto the board. The avatar is not literally there. You know, he's off in cyberspace, but because they look at you know, the, the environment he's in, he's trying to help. You know, the group do whatever they're trying to do. So they're all in downtown Hong Kong. He's in the virtual space of downtown Hong Kong. And so you can put that all on one board. And the the avatar can walk through walls because, again, they're not really there. So, you know, and where I bring back the augmented reality idea is that's the part of the web that bleeds into reality. You know, the building, you know, the menus, billboards, all that stuff. So, you know... That, that all can be hacked. So, you know, you can force the, the virtual to kind of come into the reality just a little bit. There's some, there's what I, um, so the game runs on applications, which I call apps, obviously. And so they work a little bit like magic, if in like a sense of your hacker is a wizard mm-hmm. and he gets a spell or app, it affects something, you know. So like, you're, you know, your hackers running on the board can't see the virtual. They can kind of, but they basically, you know, they can kind of see the augmented reality ports into virtual reality, so they can hack those. So, like, if you imagine every gun made by a corporation has a little piece of it that the tech that um, people are repairing and need to access, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so that can be hacked because it, you know, it shows up if you if you look hard enough, and you right. you really can't. Hide, they're not by default hidden because mm-hmm. people aren't supposed to be hacking and looking for this. Stuff. No, exactly. So. You know, so that way we you almost you have two types of hacking going on. You've got your digital avatar, who is out hunting. You know, the ro- he's hunting all the data signatures he can, but he can't see what's going on in your world. And then you've got your combat hackers, the guys on the street who can see all the augmented reality stuff and something. And they can, they, if they can see it, they can kind of try to pinpoint and type a real. It's a hyper reality port, mm-hmm. but they can't target the you know, the avatar, because they can't see it. Right. So that's kind of you. I, so I kind of combine those worlds, and it's better. <laughs> I'm a better writer than talker. No, I mean. So it makes more, it, if you read the book, it makes a little more sense than I'm giving you here. No, but the that basic makes, is, it is makes sense. These two worlds can coexist. We can, with a little bit of suspension of disbelief, we can have these two on the board, and it can be this one dynamic system that's not too worried about making it as real as possible, but making it as fun as possible. So I think that's where, like, I like to think that I I kind of did things a little differently. So, and I hope it's successful. I hope people like it, but I do. Because hacking, like you um, you brought up earlier, hacking is just fun. I think there's, like, 30 apps in the game, and they do everything from, like, um, targeting networks, which are important in the game because they're an easy way of getting free money Mm -hmm. and free information. Which is an cyberpunk game is a commodity unto itself. Oh yeah, and you also, if somebody's carrying a weapon, it can be hacked. That's awesome. And sometimes, even if that doesn't make sense, 
you know, guns can, you know, gun, you know, everything made by a corporation has a chip in it, whether you want it to or not, mm -hmm. if nothing else, so they can turn it off for you at their own convenience. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so like, there's actually like a market. Um, one of my favorite, uh, one of, um, it's just if you remember, um, the old 2099 comics oh, yeah. from the nineties, mm -hmm. they had a uh, Punisher 2099. One of my yeah. favorite plot points was he had an old Smith and weapon gun. Smith and Wesson gun because it couldn't be hacked. That's right. I forgot about and that. Like, yeah. If you imagine that everything can be hacked, it'd be people, you know, getting those old guns is kind of hard. Mm -hmm. You know? So anything, you know, the corporate anything corporate made can be turned off, messed with. And I, you know, and I there's a caveat in the book saying, I know it doesn't really make sense. You can turn off, you can hack a simple club. But we imagine the corporation figured in some way of doing that, like either, mm -hmm. you know, sheets goes over it, you're you know, weapons get sheets, guns turn off, whatever. So hacking, so anything that anything that can be anything that's a possibility to hack can be hacked. Yeah. So I like I um when I started writing the book, one of my set point one of my parameters for success was the day a street samurai punches himself to death with his own cyber hand. Yeah, yes. Which is entirely possible. A little hard, yeah. but it can because there, there's um, God, I hope so. <laughs> There's an app called Overload that lets you. Um, you, you can do a couple of things. You can like, uh, you can what I call br well bricking, which is a term for turning something off permanently in game. Mm -hmm. Or you can cause it to. You can cause things to burn out and to do brief damage. So yeah, you, the, conceptually that's quite possible. And um, beyond targeting weapons, um, one of the later um, during play testing. Um, we thought apps were great, but they were kind of underpowered a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we, we, my friend Evan kind of gave me this idea of hacking the environment. So I sat down and it looks like well, the reason I didn't have those rules initially was everyone's terrain is different, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know who's going to use buildings, who's going to use roads. Mm -hmm. But then I, I sat down and I had a thought, I had a hard thought about it and and I was like, you know what? If there's a building, it's a cyberpunk future. It's got hollow ads. It's got security cameras. Mm -hmm. It's got lights on it somewhere. Only sort of the most desperate favela or something somewhere, some shanty town where those things won't be present, and you can hack them. Yeah. So there's apps in there that you can race park. There's like those parking barriers that the corp corporations don't pull those in. They pull them up from the ground, right? That's right. And they're everywhere, but you know, people don't have access to them unless you hack them. So you can raise those up to give you cover. You can overcharge your lights on a building to go off the equivalent of like a blind grenade. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites is you can um, you can hack a hollow projector to let the, the how I mentioned the digital avatars don't come into the world. Yeah, you can actually hack those and they can come in and so they can show up on the board. Oh, nice. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're and they can like turn in the tiny drag. They it's more of a distraction. It's not really meant to hurt anybody. But when you're like you're in the middle of a firefight and all of a sudden there's this like seven foot tall dragon behind you, mm -hmm. it's just enough to go. That's not fun. And yeah. then you go like two seconds later, you're like, okay, that's not real. Yeah. But that split second, you have you're like, you know, there's all kinds of fun stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
that that's a lot you do that. So that's I, I'm I'm really happy with the apps. I really think people are gonna have a lot of fun with it. Nice. Yeah, I love your comparison to the supernatural. I think that's a great way of putting it because you have you as you say like your equivalent of a battle wizard on the board as far as a street level hacker. But then you can also have the people sort of off the board who are you know yep. in their hardcore hacking rigs who are you know almost yep. like ethereal creatures floating around manipulating the board while you go. Um, and that's yep. that's awesome, man. It it really it gives um, a granularity to it w while still making it manageable and uh, fun on the tabletop. Well, the, the idea was so that every crew, there's all, there's 10 different um, character types mm -hmm. and your leader can be any, almost can be eight out of the 10. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can have um, two of it. Max type is two. You can have two of any type in your, in your crew. Mm -hmm. But I wanted it to be possible that you didn't have to take hackers. Nice. If you wanted to go like straight punchy or straight shooty, you can. And the digital avatar still meets the requirements of completing missions that require hacking. That's why that was important for me to get that in there. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So even if you have like a like a, a gang who's or you know a, a misfit crew of you know, street samurai and, you know, gang members who are trying to, yep. as you said, rob a bank, um, they could have, they could be either um, directed by someone off the board who's doing the hack to sort of let them indoors yep. or whatnot, or they've paid someone to do it for them if the leader happens to be on the board. I, I mean, again, so cinematic. Thank you. <laughs> well, I can just imagine a million sort of cyberpunk scenarios where looking at that list of characters, um, you can, you know, mix and match them to create, you know, something that yep. you would imagine reading in a Gibson novel or in any of those movies. So let's go I through mean, like, those. I, oh, sorry. Let, I, let me quickly read those um, in case, because I know people are going to ask before we digress. Um, so we have the console cowboy, as we talked about, cyborgs, yep. drone jockeys, enforcers, gangers, infiltrators who are like cyber ninjas, which are awesome. Yeah. Um, the mask, who are sort of crowd manipulators. Um, yeah, I can I, talk about them. They're, they're a little different. They're, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'll ask you to talk about these in a sec. Street Doc, who, you know, is a trope in cyberpunk where you have, you know, the medical professional who's down, you know, in the sprawl helping people out. We have the sprawl Ronin. We have tracers, who are like fast moving. Um, again, uh, I'll let you get into that. We have the shadow-backed avatar um, and sprites. So talk to us a little about some of those um, character classes and sort of how you got the idea for them or how they play out. Um, yeah, just talk to us a little bit about some of those okay. um, just I mean, so we get so, a feel. So it's time to build your crew. You bought the rule book. What does that mean? So the first thing you're going to do is pick your um, – you're going to look at your 10 arc. You're going to look at your 10 character types. Mm -hmm. um, Sprawl Ronin are your street samurai. They're the best fighters in the game. They have an ability called Lightning Reflexes, where if you've ever looked at TNT, um, play passes back and forth with an activation system. I won't go over it too heavily because it's in the demo rules are free. People can read it on whenever they're offline. Mm -hmm. um, the street samurai is the only one that has, outside of one, a very expensive uh, piece of chrome that can go before other people. You have you basically. He's like, I'm gonna go before you, and you take an opposed agility test. And if he passes, he beats the guy. He can go before that guy takes his action. 
So, and you, but you can only do that once a turn, so that way you don't have going mul if you have multiple Ronins going off each other. I avoid that whole mess. But they tend to be your best shooters too. So that so like all of your call all your um they have the most slots for carrying equipment for carrying weapons. Mm -hmm. You know they, they're your fast guys. They're your hand to hand guys. Um, sorry, let me go. Let me look at my list right here. Where do I put that? Ah, there we go. Okay, so. It sucks. So the next one was a console cowboy, which is he's not your only hacking option, but he is your best hacking option. Mm. Um, that's his big thing. He gets the most apps. Um, biggest, you know, they're not allowed to carry. They they tend to be lightly armed, but you know, if you let them get hand to hand, they're dead, kind of situation. But if you let them get charged anyway, you probably lost the mission already. Yeah. So then you have your cyborgs. Um, they're split into heavy and light because I wanted to go both for that crazy heavy cyborg with the chain gun trope, mm -hmm. but I also wanted Major from Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. So for that, not necessarily heavy armored, but kind of like, you know, quick and fast, but still, but still more armored than human. And they're the only ones that can start a campaign with a full complement of um cyber body parts nice in fact that's their trope that's what they do they're like you get free you know cyber torso free cyber arms free cyber legs free cyber um i think they come with the only thing they don't come with are cyber eyes and a cyber cyber brain implants but everything else for them is all cyber so you know they're immune to you know they can't be gassed that kind of thing mm -hmm. um then there's the drone jockey, who is kind of, you know, they get a drone. Um, the way they work is they have, so the idea imagines that corporations like to be in charge. So there's a Turing protocols. Mm -hmm. Kind of lifted from Neuromancer a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So they don't want thinking machines. AIs are strictly regulated. So they have what's called a Turing lock, which means you, they can't, they're not independent. They're not independent. You have to send them activations to get them to do things. So the drone jockey can send in a, what I call AP or action points, and that drone then gets two actions, and then your but your drone controller then gets one, and with a penalty to anything they do because they're kind of paying attention. They're you know they're viewing the world through their drone. So they're actually we, during your playtesting they were actually kind of pretty cool because your drone would go do something, and you could take like a random pot shot with your drone jockey just because. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Then we have the enforcer, who he's also like he's kind of like a so he he is second he's kind of the second in command of your crew. He's the guy that make, he's called the enforcer. He enforces the boss's rules. He has the ability. He has the choice of two different abilities. He can either have the ability to if your if your showrunner leader gets charged, he can dive in. He can swap places with them. You know, he's like get out of the way, sir. Let me handle this. Mm -hmm. Or he can take heavy weapons. It's, it's kind of like, the, in my head, the enforcer is the ex-soldier. You know, they're not going to be like your sword-wheeling duelists like the street samurai would be. Right. They're no-nonsense shotgun-packing guys that either keep, you know, either they, they brought their weapons back from the South American war zone with them, mm -hmm. or, you know, they're the admin, no-nonsense you know, no guy, you know, butt-kickers. Yeah, the hard noses. Then we have so then we have the ganger, which 
I, the, so gangers are two for one. They're your low level street punks. We, you don't really, the game doesn't, future expansions will have more ganger options, but in the rule set, these are your, these are your bullet catchers. These are the guys mm-hmm. that are trying to prove themselves. Now, they don't have to be like mohawk, leather jacket types. You know, they could be combat interns for a corporate corporate leading crew that just happens to have just enough, you know, they have less hit points, they, their stats aren't as good, but they're also almost half the cost of a good street samurai. So, you know, when you need to bring numbers, you can take two of them because you can have two, you can take four. So they're a good way of kind of making up for a lot of, if your crew, you know, they can make up for a lot of shortcomings in crews. Yeah. Especially if you're spending a lot of your, you know, skill points on, you know, some of those really high High level heroic characters. Absolutely. So your infiltrator is, I I use the phrase ninja, not so much for martial arts, but for their ability to kind of disappear into the shadows. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they're your guy. They're you know, they're your lock breakers. They're the guys. Do you need someone to deploy in the middle, of the next to the, you know, near the objective? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to be able to walk along the board edge, staying hidden and never being revealed? These are your guys to go to. Got it. They also are your other, um, your other hackers. The idea is they they need to hack locks too. So their apps are solely built with either breaking locks. Or things like that. They don't have as many. Their their hacking is like ha- literally half the ability of your console cowboy. Mm-hmm. They also have the fun ability of carrying EMP grenades. They're oh, the nice. only ones can take them. So, <laughs> and of course, the EMP grenades off everything breaks around them for a turn. Mm-hmm. So that's like their get out of jail card. Love it. And again, that's so uh, cinematic and part of the cyberpunk universe. Yeah. So it's just like you know. You know, EMP weapons in a world full of computers are highly, mod- you know, they're they're illegal everywhere. So I just, they're like, you know, the thieves of the Thieves Guild fantasy trope. That's mm-hmm. them, you know? Totally. So then I have the mask, which is kind of hard to describe writing. It's easier to describe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character, Neuromancer, the guy with the hollow projections. Yep. He's, they're that guy. It's kind of that guy meets rocker boys, meets social media influencer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, social media wasn't really represented in Cyberpunk too much. No. So this is kind of the modern update of that concept where, you know, they're not, they're okay combatants on the board, but what they do is, so the game has um, NPCs in the form of crowds. Okay, and. Cool. Um, there's crowds and there's there's civilians walking around. It's a sprawl. There's tons of people everywhere. Yeah. So almost every scenario, you've got a four inch. What I I use um, four inch templates mm-hmm. of crowds floating around. And of course, once gunplay starts, they start moving and running. Mm-hmm. They can even disperse. Um, masks have the ability to jump into them. Oh, nice! And they reappear in another crowd. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea is that's a, that's a on the tabletop version of disappearing into the crowd. That is so, so cool. Almost, they also have um, the ability to take a single civilian and turn them into a crowd. The idea is they said, "Hey, everyone, meet at this point," or they're you know they they faked a news like, "Hey, the celebrity's coming, come check it out." Mm-hmm. You know, they're online talking up, and on the campaign they do a lot of fun stuff. They they. They they add your reputation of your showrunner because they're they're online talking about how badass he is working the nice. social media. 
This may be the first time in, you know, on tabletop wargaming, social influencers are actually, you know, social media influencers are actually on the tabletop and it's awesome. Now, let me give let me let me give a little bit of a shout out. I didn't the invention of the mall, that, that crowd surfing thing mm-hmm. wasn't mine. That that was an idea from Gangs of Rome, which is a great great rule. Set. It's a fun rule set. It is. But I was like, you know, Rome is this huge city full of people. The sprawl is a huge city full of people. That's very apt to me. Yeah, exactly. So then you have your street dock, which is you know not non. Not a great combatant, mm-hmm. but he heals people quickly, and he also um, he's a little bit of a morale booster. People like having docs around to keep them alive. Also, people t- people taint, you know. So that that that's what they do. And then we mentioned the roamer, and now the, the final one is the tracer. <laughs> so your tracers are kind of um, inspired by cyber back in you know. Parkour, you know, free running. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that was that the idea for that is kind of more modern than a little more modern than Neuromancer. It is, but it's kind of like with games like Mirror's Edge and things like that. It's kind of now a cyberpunk trope a little bit. Yeah. So I, I love the idea of people diving off walls and jumping over things, and especially if they get like like those. Um, who was the famous runner with the blades? Oh, um, Molly killed his. Oh no, I'm thinking of um oh. he, he he's in prison now, but Oh, um uh Arthur anyway. Pisterius. Pister... Yes, Pisterius. Thank you. Pisterius. So I like the uh, so they're they ha so what the way they work is they, they can they have like a list of generic skills mm-hmm. that they can choose from. So like they can um jump over train two inches high. They can nice. if they fall from if they're Within three inches of a, if they're within so many distance of a train feature, they can reduce any fall by three inches. They can attempt even crazier stuff by taking agility tests. Mm-hmm. And they're also hands down the they start with the fastest move stat in the game. So these are the guys. If you've got a ticking time bomb, these are the guys you give it to. Nice. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to bum rush. You know, they're they're medium level in combat. They're not great. They're more of a support character. But these are, you know, if you need something, you need something somewhere fast. This is the guy you send. This, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, so much of um, the cyberpunk genre. I mean, if we think about just the backdrop in Blade Runner, for example, or Altered Carbon, or you know, any uh, um, Ghosts in the Shell. If we think about what their environments look like, it's choked. It's busy. There is a lot yep. of things going on if you were to put this on the tabletop you would have a ton of terrain and you are creating character classes that uniquely interact with that terrain which really makes it more than just street dressing it actually makes it an integral part of the game which sounds awesome well i mean there's so there's like you know we we haven't talked about chrome yet Mm. but there's lots of ways of getting around so you know yeah i like the dynamic Jumping in over buildings, jumping from roof to roof if you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. That's all quite possible. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about um, what the game looks like. Because it's it's on a three-by-three three table. You have right. um, small gang sizes um, and lots of terrain. So how does a game sort of play out? Because you've, you've talked several times about a campaign system. Um, if you are going to sit down with a friend to play a game of Reality's Edge, 
um, and then maybe link those games in a narrative fashion. Sort of talk us through that process. So that outside of hacking, this was like actually the hardest part of writing the rule set. Mm. Because when, when you think of cyberpunk, you know, gaming, you think Shadowrun. You, right. you think Cyberpunk 2020. You, you know, mm-hmm. you have a GM and you have your small amount of players going against a faceless corporation. Right. You know, it's, it's this asymmetrical kind of um, gameplay Right. That's really hard to duplicate on the tabletop. So I envisioned the idea was I have in my game, there's what are called job ops. These are job opportunities mm-hmm. that are posted by clandestine backers. Mm-hmm. Who, you imagine some billboard somewhere saying, I need X mm-hmm. done. And then multiple people bidding on the job, multiple people saying, we're going to do it. So that you have there, you get that's where your clash is, or you were specific, or um, A was hired, A, um, X, you know, A hired B to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, Z doesn't like that, so Z is hiring Y to stop you from doing that. Right. You know, like so. That the basis is you have your job ops where you have competing agendas that are. And that's kind of like, and then the showrunner is like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to do this mission? Look at my, let me look at my pool of people, my freelancers that I have. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of tailor my war, but you know, you can, before each game, you can kind of tailor what you want to take. You're not necessarily knowing what the other guys want to take. You just know the mission right. or the job. So that kind of forms what you're taking. And then you go onto the board, you know, your, your shadow backer, the guy who get the guy who sent you the job. That's the guy that's the online avatar. He's kept, he's keeping track of you because he, you know, he's funding everything. The showrunner took his money, you know, so it's kind of like these, you know, different, you know, kind of competing alliances kind of thing going on. It's really fun. And, you know, the three, so like I said, the, it's a smaller board than when I went with TNT because in TNT, the way um, movement works is you can double move. Right. You know, you spend an action point, you move five inches. You spend a moving point, spend five five inches. You can on one turn, depending on how fast you are, go between 10 and 14 inches. However, that doesn't really make sense in a suburban area, you know, in an urban right. sprawl type situation. So I reduced, so, and I wanted play to, I wanted to get to the action a little quicker. Mm-hmm. I wanted a little bit less maneuvering, just a teeny bit just to kind of get things close and personal. And I really want to, you know, I just really want to include, you know, kind of like encourage close combat, you know, that more cinematic movie type fighting. Oh, totally. So, you know, you, models are models. Now they move their first movement. And then when they move again, they move D six. And then if they happen to get another action point through random ways, they go D three. So, you know, movements a little bit more stunted than my other game. Mm-hmm. But it, for but for three by three, it's still more than enough. And there's, of course, there's nothing that can't be bought out with between Chrome and you know experience. Mm-hmm. And so, I just wanted something slightly more dynamic. You know, you set up your board, you set up your date. What I call um, data. I think I use the phrase data nodes. Mm-hmm. And you know, those every board gets those are the those are the network the local networks you can hack. Okay. Yeah. So you set all that up, and then you just kind of get loose. And depending on what the mission is, 
um, you get points for how well you do it. Um, it's actually, it's, it does slightly grade you on a curve a little bit. And the game runs, the game runs on what are, what are called info and CCs. CCs are cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the money. That's the points in the game. Nice. Um, info is information that you gather. Mm -hmm. If you remember from, um, it's kind of based on the information in, in um, Snow Crash where mm -hmm. Hero found, he found like, oh, that's a cool thing to know. I can sell that. I can put that out and people can pay for it. Mm -hmm. So you get info by hacking random networks and for completing missions. And for how well you complete your mission. That's the t only two ways to get it. So it's really valuable. Info can do a whole lot of different things. You can trade it for money. Or it's like, um, I want to say, D3 times 10 CCs kind of conversion rate. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, if you remember, Mordheim had that kind of um, warp stone mm -hmm. economy where it wasn't always as profitable as he wanted. And, of course, depending on who your showrunner is, their background, you can trade money, you know, some, you, like if you take, um, if your background is a criminal, you can, you, can, you can launder money, so you get more on the back end. Nice. So that's all in there. So info also lets you, um, you can spend it to get cool gear, but what gear is available in the net? What gear in the black market is always kind of random because you don't know what they're going to give you. Yeah, right. What's going to be? You can also so you can also spend info to get to get more rolls to see what's random. Love it. So yeah, I'm like actually really excited to see what people do with. So the idea is, your showrunner is trying to gain, trying to not only get CCs, but he's also trying to get info because info is really important on the back end is like a, it's a kind of the strategic resource a little bit mm -hmm. or money can buy you things, but money can't buy everything. No, definitely. So that's kind yeah. of, how, so that's kind of how the, the, the campaign system works is that you play a game on a three by three board. Um, we found those games about an hour, hour and a half. I, I, I I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of games that are over in a half an hour. Yeah. They have their place and I love it, but I, I, you know, I like spending some time playing a little bit. Yeah, you know, you know, if you know the rules, you can it can be as quick or as, you know quick or as slow as you want. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of like that drama of you know, let seeing how things play out. Yeah, and by the same so token, not taking three hours as well. It's a game yeah. that you know runs you through know. its chop or you know run through its chops has some depth, but doesn't take the rest. I, of your I life. find about an hour is about where people are happy. Nice. They, they've yeah. played long enough to make their showing up, putting models on the table and building a group, building a crew to be worth it. Whereas they're not getting bored. It's over before they get bored. Nice. Or, you know, it's like it, we're the tension meets its natural limit and everybody's happy. Nice. And the game itself has consequences because these games are usually linked in a campaign. Yes. Um, nobody can really get hosed too bad. One of the things I like about, like, for instance, TNT does well is you can lose the game horribly. You know, you mm -hmm. dice don't go your way, but the survival, the, the random after game rolls and setup is designed that your war band will be like, oh, they got some cool experience. They got some new toys. So, okay, cool. You know, yeah. I'm kind of evened out or if I'm, I mean, I might even be a little better. 
even if you had a bad game. Um, Reality's Edge is a little more punishing because it's kind of cyberpunk the world is out against you. But, like I said, nobody can die if you got the money. You know, the the actual survival table is a little more forgiving. Um, You can only die on a 1, on a D10 roll. Nice. Yeah. You know, that was... You know, TNT is 20%. This game is 10%. And, and, you know, that was kind of the funny thing of the injury table in a world in which ultra medicine exists. Yeah, right. You know, fantasy and post-apocalyptic games, you have a lot more freedom. Than, you're like, oh, the guy has a missing leg now. Okay, well, in Cyberpunk, this guy can walk down the road and have it regrown. Right. Or get a cybernetic replacement or yep. any other, you know, inventive way of fixing that. So using, there yeah. are downsides to all that, of course. Yeah. Um, either, you know, after after the game, your models can do things like you can send them out to the black market to try to find things. That's the only way to get stuff short of your um, your shadow backer giving you rewards for going well. Mm. Uh, but if they go for, if they're injured or cyber, or they're going, they're getting criminal cell, they can't do it. So there is a cost to that, and you can, you know, there, you can spend money to heal injuries. I could, that's a very important part of the campaign because if you're running a campaign, you're running a business. Your showrunner is keeping the lights on. He's got employees, and if you have injured, if you send your your sprawl run in into the game with an injury and he survives, he's not going to be happy. <laughs> You're keep. Nobody wants to work for a skin flint. Right. So you might lose him. There's a, there's an employee morale table that's in there that I'm really happy with. <laughs> Either he's like, okay, boss, I understand till I'm out. I'm taking my ball and going home. You just mm-hmm. lost your investment. Nice. There's I... also being captured and stuff. I mean, again, you know, not by the yeah. Again, that all ties into that narrative aspect of the game, where even between games you have that narrative building. Um, it it just builds a really rich world. Yeah, I'm actually really happy with the campaign. I, if people people might be, um, I, so in TNT I use what is called the Wasteland deck, mm-hmm. which is you you draw cards, and which I I thought was a fun. I, I'm actually really proud of that. But I wanted to do something a little different. So this is one of the big differences people know is that there's no equivalent in Reality's Edge. Instead, you send guys out, and um, that's how you get all your gear. In TNT, there's relics and you know all the high-end stuff. It's not, you only can get that by going out and searching for it, spending info for more rolls. And in the Wasteland deck, there's always kind of random happenings that can go on. That's more in when you play a job op, you have the hitch table where it's always that that always is something that always goes wrong with the mission and there's like <laughs> 30 different options yeah and something so, always goes wrong right so a job op when i say you've never played the same game twice is kind of true because so a job op you have you roll to see what the so the, so like let's say the job op is i need a vip escorted well then we're going to roll to see what actually what who the VIP is. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he's a guy your employer has employed and he wants to keep him safe. He wants to go with you. Yeah. Maybe it's an employee of a rival concern who doesn't want to go with you. Right. So you got to drag his ass out. Mm-hmm. Drag his butt out. Mm-hmm. Of course, 
that job op is weighted, so that's a harder mission to complete. There's more reward for doing it. Right. So, so there's always a little bit of variable in what the mission is. And then the hitch table gives you everything from smog, um, creatures showing up like rats, um, maybe some local, like there's a, what I call the dodgy hood net, mm-hmm. which means the local network is really crappy, so hacking takes a penalty. Nice. To um, my favorite is probably Dogtown, where if you've ever seen, um, you ever watch videos of any third world nation, there's dogs everywhere, uh-huh. and they're you know people just kind of ignore them and they're super friendly. So like it's it's it's, it's two where like oh dogs are cool, so everyone's kind of in a better mood, so morale's a little better, <laughs> but you can't hide as much because there's dogs following you everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just i mean there's one for a train moving to the board for god for there's um my, no that's not true my favorite is a train one where one one opponent picks a board edge the other opponent the other player picks an opposing picks a point on the other board edge so that you and you draw a line between them mm-hmm. and randomly that determines um a train coming through the area very unsafe <laughs> cuz there's this famous chinese i want to say chinese market in Hong Kong, no, it's in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. There's train tracks running through it, and people set up on the train tracks. Yep, the rares, and then they know when the train's coming, so they all pick their stuff up and move out of the way. Yeah, it's inspired by that. So there's like all kinds of random things that can happen, and with thirty of them, you know, you, every game will be totally different. And I really want people that that chaotic, and then there's a random number of crowds. And civilians running around. So, in like one hand, it's kind of like that's why I have fewer crew members. So it allows there to be this background noise right. of stuff to kind of not like I don't want to say keep track of necessarily, but pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So you know, I really feel like each game kind of captures that how you feel if you were going out into the sprawl at night to pick up a scientist, and the other guy said, "Not you know, no, I can't let you do that." Yeah, exactly. And go at it. All right, well, you mentioned Chrome before. Uh, why don't you explain what that is? So, Chrome, cybernetics. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're starting out with your crew, you can buy cyber body parts. Um, these are actually pretty cheap compared, like, I want to say a, a cyber leg is almost the cost of an assault rifle. Which, what does, and, and if you were to actually do like a, a serious RPG, that wouldn't be true. Right. But I wanted to, I wanted to encourage people to take them, mm-hmm. but not so they could make the decision to take them. So in the beginning, there's kind of like this cheap, low level. Very, um, you can take a lot of a lot of basic cybernetics if you want. And there's also a nice selection of things like um, the Dentatus is in there. You remember that? Is that oh, the name's familiar? Is it the? So we won't go into detail what it does. Okay. Because. It's a little X-rated. Oh, I know exactly what that is. Yep. Thank you. Uh, from Snow so, Crash. Yep. And that in that element, I'm not going to... So let's just say it's a hidden weapon that gets you out of situations. So if you get captured by corporate security, mm-hmm. you can jailbreak yourself. Right. You can buy a cyber lamb if you want a punch harder. All that mm-hmm. stuff is there. Nice. And it's cheap. Mm-hmm. But and people... I, I've been told that some of the criticisms of... When I talk about this, is it's an outdated concept, but I love '90s cyberpunk. Yeah, and I love the cyberpunk RPG, 2020 RPG mm-hmm. that has Chrome, 
has an empathic cost. Oh, nice. Yeah. As you layer on the chrome, your humanity just drops a little bit. Yeah. Now, I'm not running an RPG, so I can't, you know, we're not making rolls with charisma. So where that's important, where you're hulked up cyborg. So instead, what happens is whenever you suffer a traumatic, a traumatic event, you can kind of lose control of your model briefly. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is if you take four or more points of damage in a single hit, mm-hmm. not overturn. So if you get hit by a shotgun blast or if you fail an activation test, which requires you to roll one on a D10. Mm-hmm. So you have to make a cyber test. You have to make a test for cyber shock. And for every 10 points of Chrome you have, you take a minus to that roll. Okay. So if you if you keep your chrome at a minimum, you're going to be okay most of the time. Mm-hmm. The higher you go up, the more trouble you you, you kind of weighing the benefit. Got it. And for the most part, it's minor things that it can do. Like you go catatonic, you lose action for a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, if you roll really bad, maybe you'll attack a friend. Um, one of I think one of them is where you have like a. I want to, what's the word I want to use for this? You um you become obsessed. You become obsessive. So you move to the you move towards the nearest friendly model to see what they're doing. Ah, got so it. there's all so there's all kind or you can all, you know and of course cyborgs the downside of those is they have cyberpsychosis. Mm-hmm. It's a little more dangerous, where they they have a chance of more of attacking anybody. Mm-hmm. So so Chrome does have a cost, but Chrome lets you do a lot of fun things, from kangaroo extensions which let you leap on the buildings to micro thrusters in your feet. So you can, you know, you can fly, mm-hmm. um, you can boost your run speed, you can take a neural link for your gun. Awesome. You know, that classic probe. Oh, yeah. Of giving yourself a plus one to hit. It's actually really cool. There's, um, that's actually a common ability that you can share. You can take a special type of drone. If you don't want to take an attack drone, you can take like a surveillance drone. Mm-hmm. And he gives that ability to everyone within three inches of him. So you got like this moving pod. So there's all kinds of technological ways of overcoming problems. Okay, so then there's higher-end Chrome, mm-hmm. which the high-end stuff is the fancy stuff that you have to send out your crew members for. And there's all kinds. There's, um, like, Improvision that gives you, you can see in the dark. There is um, a Bladed of Armor, which gives you more hit points. You imagine it's like you're just adding chunky, like, it's like thermal armor, but better. Nice. Um, there's a breaching hand, which is my, one of my favorite pieces. You just imagine you've got like your hand is a heavy drill, and you can just literally just punch through walls. Oh, that's cool. And just go right through. Mm-hmm. And there's like cat's claws, which let you climb, you know, this like almost Wolverine schnickety, you know, mm-hmm. climbing up walls really fast. There's um, the flesh set defender. That's one of my, that, you imagine you've got a secret pod of like, here can you shoot out? Mm hmm. And so it's like if somebody charges you, that automatically goes off. They have to automatically like they're like attacked as soon as they get near you. That's cool. And there's ways of like there's the skill chips. Mm-hmm. So like the game has skills that you know make every you know everyone can know little tricks. Mm-hmm. And you can actually buy skill chips and buy any skill you want. You know so. Like the Matrix, I know kung fu. Just like the Matrix. Yep. Yep. That's all I'm getting the skills and, and there's this all kind. There is the, one of the more, the more like the lightning booster. That's a high end piece of chrome that gives you the um, the sprawl running ability. Mm-hmm. That's the only other way to get it. 
but it's like really expensive and it takes up like six slots in your body. Because so, you imagine you're pumped full of chemicals right. and muscle ligature, you know, enhancements. So you move really fast. And then there's the neural, the classic neural net. That's your brain upgrade. Mm-hmm. That gives you free AP every turn for hacking. Like that one's super powerful, but it's also like really hard to get. So like for the high end stuff, which is both equipment and chrome, there's a lot of equipment options. Everything from holster guards that you can sleeve your weapons into so they can't be hacked mm-hmm. to specialist grenades. Like there's foam grenades that you can throw and it'll encase people in foam, kind of like like in Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. And they have, to, they have to spend actions digging it out. That's right. So that's like because Cyberpunk, you needed like, like the, the book is 320 pages. But it's like 200 pages of options, That's 30 so pages of rules, mm-hmm. 10 of those are just dealing with hacking, and the rest is just character options. And that's um, cybernetics, specialist grenades, all kinds of cool items. There's all kinds of different armor, and there's, and like, you can, you know, everything from, you know, like, your, what are those, um, Mono-wedged weapons, you know, like the, the whip. Monofilament, yeah. Mon- that's all there. And then, you know, and then, of course, there's, um, if you were, like, if you, you ever played Mordheim? Oh, yeah. Where you have that really high-end stuff, but it's, like, really hard to get? Yes. I kind of have that, too, with what I call Bleeding Edge, mm-hmm. where it's stuff that's on the cusp of being invented. So, like, you get um, a Cyber Fist that combines a couple different Chrome into one one area, so you don't like you you take actual loss um, humanity loss for it, mm-hmm. or there's um, or you get a weapon that can have two abilities instead of one. Nice. Or there's um what I call reds, which are reaction drones. Mm-hmm. There's these things that kind of follow you around, and they get in, so one's like a shield drone where if someone charges you, it buffs up against them, so they have to go through it before they can hit you. Or there's one, there's the one that carries a gun. So if someone charges you, it shoots a submachine gun at them. Nice. And they, and of course they don't write the Turing protocols because they're reacting to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, so it's just there's drugs for Lord's sake. I feel I kind of feel bad about that, but I'm like, every cyberpunk has drugs yeah, in it. Yeah, it's it's an an integral part of the uh, the genre. You couldn't not put it in. And of course there's a there's one that gives you better initiative, but mm-hmm. It causes you to like randomly. You can randomly hallucinate. Every every drug has a has a drawback, and there's to, there's addiction rules for taking it. You have to roll at the end of every game, and if you become addicted, you have to buy it every game, or the or they suffer penalties. And if they don't buy it, and if they suffer it again, you can get you have to buy two of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's up to like you have to buy three doses if you like. You get like super addicted, which is kind of hard to do, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still it exists. And as you say, there's, you know, there's a set number of pages, uh, you know, maybe less than a third of the book is rules. Um, actually, what, 30 pages? A tenth of the book is rules? Pure, 30 pages of pure mechanics. That's right. And then from there, it's just options. In essence, I mean, you've just given us a, a fantastic base game. And then you've given us tier upon tier upon tier of options that bulk that out, that, that sort of encompass every single little bit and piece of cyberpunk genre that I could think of and then 
you've mentioned tons of other things that I loved about cyberpunk way back when that I hadn't even thought of and you've thought of. Clearly, you've put a lot of time into this, man, and it, it sounds amazing. I cannot wait to get, A, a copy in my hands, and B, it's, get it's it on the tabletop. <laughs> it's a deep dive. I love giving people options. I, you know, yeah. I, I really hope people feel the, the love for the genre that I have mm. and that, you know... It's got all the fun. It's got all the fun little tools and gimmicks, but it's still cyberpunk. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I, I want people like you know. I, I want to feel like they're like playing Shadowrun a little bit on the tabletop. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're going on missions and it's cool. And you know, they've got their little crew. And I'm really hoping that vibe gets across. It's just not a science fiction game. No, you know. Well, it sounds like you've given everyone the tools to make it not the science fiction game, which, you know, is fantastic. I, I just, I'm, I'm so glad that we actually get a game that fits the genre. Um, that, and yeah, super excited to play it, man. Now, you said the game comes out on August 22nd. Um, yes. And it will be published through Osprey. I know my local yep. friendly gaming store will be carrying it. Um, if people want to get it and they're concerned that their local FLGS can't get it i recommend that you go talk to your local friendly gaming store ask for it pre-order it so it's coming um but if you want to get it and you don't have a local gaming store where can people find it i mean clearly the osprey website but is there anywhere else um so i'll be selling it on my website awardsandpublishing.com i'll be setting up pre-orders soon and actually mine will come with a bonus um, I'm going to release uh, an STL, which is an electronic. So if you've got a 3D printer, there'll be some gubbins. I'm not sure yet what it'll awesome. be. But if you pre-order through me, you'll get that. So I think it's going to be. I I've been I've been over the last year I've been working on a model with a friend called Chris Caparell, who's a who's a really good 3D designer. And I don't know if you saw the piece of art for Reality's Edge where it's kind of like almost Necromunda looking, where it's like these kind of gangers. Mm-hmm. There's a big bay of monitors behind them. They're all kind of shooting. Yes. As these guys repel in, that thing behind it is a hut. Is um, that's a data node. What, what phrase do I use for the game? That's that's that data node that you hack. Nice. And that kind of that's the network neighborhood. And I'll be releasing that as a model. That's so cool. So people, so like that that in my head. That's what that looks like. It's based on if you've ever seen Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. There's a back in the background. There's a street light randomly with monitors attached to it. That's right. And, and it's perfect. So I'm thinking I'll release that, and people can print them as many as they want. And because so, I'm not really 100% sure it works as a model, because mm-hmm. the tops are really thin. Because like a, you know, like a lamp post and resin might be a little delicate. Yes. But I mean, there, you can also go through Amazon, but uh, yeah. I, I like supporting the friendly local gaming exactly. store or my website. I mean, I know everyone likes to get a deal, but you know, support your local store as much as you can. That's right. I mean, anyway, it's, it's available, you know, it shouldn't be too hard to find. I can't wait to walk into some random bookstore and see it. I'm like, all right. Because yeah. technically, Osprey is um, a subsidiary. Bloomsbury? Not I sure. Yeah. So I tell people the same people the public reality's edge also publish Harry Potter. Nice. <laughs> Which is technically true. Yeah. 
Hey, it's going to be out there, man. Osprey books show up in the weirdest places, and I cannot wait to uh, turn around and find this on a shelf somewhere someday. I, I still think it's funny that you were in Australia talking about Reality's Edge to someone who knew it before you did or was aware of it. I'm like, all right. No, mm-hmm. so I, I do have um, we have, um, TNT's done very well in Australia. Yeah. So, like, it's got a pretty big fan base down there. So that's not, like, I'm not, like, kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, you know, Australia's the, uh, it's it's a hub of wargaming, man. Who would have thunk? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of English-speaking countries, we're not Germany for sheer density of gamers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey. Man, if you want to talk about density to gamers, Australia has an astonishing, astonishingly high percentage of war gamers per population, given that our entire country, which is you know roughly the same land size area as the domestic United States, given that we have the same literal, the entire country has the same population size um, that the city of Tokyo has, um, it's... <laughs> astonishing uh how many war gamers are down here how many game designers are down here how many people who just love hobby are down here man it's uh, it's it's a magical place to be with all the kangaroos the spiders and the war gamers that's us <laughs> well joey man thank you so much for coming on to the show today it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you finally and to talk about reality's edge man i cannot wait for this game to come out thank you for making the time uh i know Time differences are wacky between Australia and the rest of the world, just to finish the last thought, but um, it is I, it is greatly appreciated that you came on today, man. Hey, I, we're punched up against my bedtime, but hey, I appreciate the opportunity, and it was, it was a pleasure to meet you. And actually, this was a really fun interview. I'm not stressed or anything, so thank Sweet. you very much. Boom, <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how we aim to please down here. Um, guys, if I hope you have enjoyed this uh, episode, listening to it as much as Joey's enjoyed being on it. Um, as always, if you would like to give us feedback, and man, you guys have been coming out of the woodwork lately. Tons of messages coming to the Facebook page. Um, that's Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type that into the Facebook search engine, you will find me. Um, I am the only one who answers that page. My name is Brad. Hi. Um, if you would like to give us feedback about things you liked or things you'd like us to do, or even if you, you know, we, <laughs> I did something you didn't like, um, let us know. Uh, you know, this is generally a solo endeavor, but um, I do it with feedback from fans so, or listeners, even if you're not a fan. So, again, thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, it is greatly appreciated. Uh, please let us know if you have any thoughts. And, um, yeah, looking forward to talking to you guys soon now that uh, the, the house has been moved and the rig is back up. Cast Dice is now back open for business full-time with guests aplenty coming. Tons of great content coming in the coming weeks, and I can't wait to, uh, to share some of that with you guys. As always, as we say on Cast Dice, when you are playing the games that we love, I hope your beverages are cold. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than anything else... I hope you have fun. Thank you and good night.